Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Fox Nomad Podcast. I'm your host, Fox Nomad, Anul Polat. I have just returned from a trip to Baghdad, Iraq, which was one of the most fascinating trips I've taken. Expect some updates about that coming up soon. But today's episode is a little bit different. We're going to talk with Amy Burkert, who is one part of Go Pet Friendly. And they, her and Rod, her husband Rod, are two of the people that when I first started blogging, they were one of the first people I reached out to. I remember when I was in my house before I had sold my house, or I think I was in the process of selling the house to take off on what was going to be um, this sort of journey around the world. Who knew how long it would last? I had estimated about eight months. Uh, We are now here, oh, about, I want to say 14 years later because they started, I think in 2008 or 2000 and no 2009 so yeah it's almost been 14 years they had been traveling all around the u.s and canada with their two dogs ty and buster they've since passed away but a new dog has entered their live lives miles and they put out a post that you know they had found a place that they wanted to settle and it was at that point when i saw that i was like oh i want to reach out to them you know we haven't really talked in years and and so i was like oh this would be a great time to follow up and it was just really fascinating just great reconnecting with amy and getting to talk and catch up and i think you're really going to enjoy this conversation if you travel with your pets by the way if you travel with a dog or you have a dog you're going to learn a lot about traveling with them we get into how it's like you know going from a van to a camper and traveling around with two two members of the of another species you know traveling around with dogs how did they adjust to being on the road how did they adjust and and sort of get along in all these different places we get into all of that uh, it's a really great conversation it's a little bit of travel blogging history too if you're interested in that so i think you're gonna really enjoy this conversation with amy from go pet friendly hi <laughs> hi <Amy. laughs> hi Neil. how are you Good. Uh, yeah, it's like I was saying before we hit record. The last time I spoke with Rod was it. You know, I should look up the email, but it it was I, I, 2010 or before, like 2008, I think. It has been a long time since we've been actually in touch in a you know other than on an online forum kind of uh, way. So it's really great to see you. Yeah, it's it's really nice. I mean, I think both of us sort of at the same time had started planning the uh, you know this idea to travel to just be a, live a nomadic life. And I recently saw a blog post of yours that that has now you've you've picked a home. So I, I it sparked my interest, and I was like, okay, this is a good chance. Let's let me get in touch. And now I have the podcast, so I can talk to people, which is great. I mean, I can talk to people without a podcast, but you know, it's a good excuse. Um, but I guess let's start back in 2008, I think it was, right? When you decided to take an adventure. Yeah. So 2008 uh, was the year that we found our German Shepherd Buster, who was the inspiration for us to start uh, Go Pet Friendly, which is a website that makes it easy for people to travel with their pets. And um, in 2009, we launched the site and uh, shortly thereafter sold our house 
and pretty much everything we owned and hopped in an RV and started traveling. So we've been, we, we've been in the RV and as you can see, I'm still in it um, <laughs> uh, for, for a little bit more than 12 years now. Wow. And <laughs> so it's funny because, you know, I was sort of in that same situation, not with an RV, but I had sold my house right around the same time. Um, how, why an RV um, how, how did that concept come about and uh, where did the adventure start from? So I'll ask this, answer the second question first. So we started from Pennsylvania. From, we were living in Philadelphia and had lived there for about 10 years. And the reason we chose an RV was because um, we wanted people, we, we wanted it to um, be a, a format where we could help, we, we needed it to, to dovetail with go pet friendly so we knew we were taking not only buster the dog that we found but our the sharpe ty who we had before buster came into our lives we were taking them both and traveling with them and so so that we could blog about it and share the information and also collect more information um, places that were pet friendly hotels and campgrounds and beaches and restaurants and wineries that were pet friendly and add them to the website and when you're traveling with pets to me, especially if you're going to do it for the long term, right? We were we knew that this was going to be well. In the beginning, we told ourselves at least a year, and then after the first year, we were like, "How about one more year?" And then we were like, "Okay, three and a half years later, we're like, okay, now we can't remember why we ever wanted to have a house." And uh, so then we traded in our smaller RV and got a bigger RV. Um, but that that was the reason for the RV was really to make it easier to travel with Ty and Buster. Um, just be able to have them be in a place that felt like home to them, even though we were constantly moving around the U.S. and Canada, basically. And how did, you know, uh, they've since passed away, right? I, I was sad to see. Um, but they must have had just a, a life many dogs dream about, just seeing so many places around the U.S. and Canada, um, did they adapt quickly to the life on the road or did it, was it a little bit of a struggle? They adapted really quickly to being on the road. Um, they, I think, uh, with a lot of dogs, as long as you have, as long as they're with you, they're kind of like, okay, this is, as long as we're all together, as long as the pack is all together, right. Um, they're all, then they're pretty happy. And so they didn't have a big adjustment to becoming acclimated to traveling, but they both had their um, individual behavioral challenges, which made traveling with them a little bit, a little bit more difficult. Buster was least reactive. He was an 80 pound German shepherd who was least reactive. So we had to really manage his um, exposure to other dogs when he was on leash. And Ty was afraid of strangers and other dogs. So, <laughs> so Rod and I became experts at managing the situations that we were putting the dogs in and also being able to travel in the RV made that easier because we could, for example, work on Saturdays and Sundays when most people were out doing things with their dogs. And then we could take Ty and Buster out when the traffic was less and do things on, you know, Mondays through Thursdays, something like that. Um, so, so that really made it a lot easier to travel with them. And how, how did you uh, meet their, like keep their energy you know, drained, I guess, because, you know, as a dog, if it just sits around all day, they just become 
energy dis destructive tornadoes, right? Especially larger dogs. Yeah, they can. They can. And, and Buster especially. Ty being a Sharpay, uh, Ty was like a couch potato with legs. He, he was happy to lay around all day. And the only reason Ty ever really exercised was because he felt like he had to keep up with Buster. Like he, he needed to be uh, in the lead whenever we went for a walk, he couldn't let Buster be in the lead. So that's what kept Ty going. Um, Buster being a shepherd um, did have a lot of energy and was, um, you know, we did have to really consider his energy level. So, and especially being in such a small space like an RV. So we would walk early in the morning we would walk again late at night. Um, but also, I think just being in new environments really helped Buster um, tire himself out because those walks were involved a lot of sniffing. There was a lot of stuff to sniff. There was always new stuff to sniff. And it was always very interesting. And that required a lot of mental um, processing on Buster's part, which can be just as exhausting for a dog as actually physically exhausting them. Um, so, yeah, it was... Um, that always actually worked out pretty well. You could, we could tell too if Buster was getting antsy and needed to get out for a break. Um, but you know, as they got older as well, uh, then they started to slow down a little bit more. You know, and then us Rod and I working all day didn't really matter to them. They were perfectly content to nap most of the day away, which our puppy does now. We have a, a just a over two year old puppy who wandered into an RV park where we were staying in San Antonio just before the COVID shutdown of everything. And um, he sleeps most of the day. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> I remember reading something when I first got my first dog, it was one of a Caesar Milan book. And he was saying, you know, you, you've got to exercise the dog and so on. But don't feel bad about leaving them home, you know, if they're, you know, because they pretty much sleep, you know, naturally just 18 hours a day. That's just part of their rhythm, which is pretty cool. I wish, uh, <laughs> not, not a bad, not a bad life. Yeah. When we come back and you'll, we'll come back as somebody's dogs, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and so did, did you have to leave a job or did you take the job with you on the road? How, how did that, that work out? That was a, a little bit of both. So Rod took our our previous company. We were business appraiser. We were business appraisers. He took that company on the road, and I left that company and started Go Pet Friendly. So I was doing. We were each running our own businesses um, on the road. So it was a little bit of both. And so that that transition was, seems like it was pretty easy. You didn't have you know, people ask me a lot about finances, which. I always find the least interesting part, but I, I think people are curious. Well, and I think it's concerning, right? I mean, I think that that's a big hurdle for people to get over mentally um, when they're thinking about traveling and, and living and doing a nomadic lifestyle. Um, the, the financial aspect of it is what, you know, becomes kind of the biggest hurdle to consider. Rod and I are both trained as CPAs. So we also had that hurdle that we were <laughs> significant. It was a significant hurdle for us as well. So um, it, though, I guess, it, I would say the transition was um, probably moving the businesses uh, onto the mobile platform, you know, being mobile was easier in some ways than moving our marriage into being um, in such a small space all the time together. That required, I think, 
our relationship required more adjustment um, than actually the businesses did. Because by the time you and I got started doing this, cellular internet was getting pretty darn good. I mean, not as good as it is now, but it was getting, it was getting doable. And um, so as long as we had the internet, both of our, and cell, and cell coverage for our phones, both of our businesses were pretty, it really didn't matter where we were. Like our, our other business that Rod um, continued on was already a home-based business. So it didn't really have any impact on that. Um, learning to live in a situation where you don't have a lot of routine with another person actually required more adjustment because there was like every day was a Friday. Like, what do you want to do today? It could be anything. You could, we could go be, you know, out seeing attractions with the dogs. We could be working all day. Every day was up for, you know, was up for grabs and learning how to communicate through that was really the biggest adjustment that we made um, to being on the road. <laughs> and, and how did you navigate that? How, how did that you know, well, we, we set up a couple of rules. So the first rule was nobody can say, I don't care. Because ultimately, everybody cares at least a little bit. So if I said to you, uh, Anil, what would you like to have for dinner tonight? And you said, I don't care. Basically, what you, you would be doing is shifting the responsibility of deciding what was going to be for dinner onto me. And there were a million questions a day. Where are we going to stay? What are we going to eat? What are we going to do? When are we going to do laundry? When are we, you know, like there were a million questions a day. So anybody saying, I don't care was really shifting responsibility. So we, we got rid of that. No more of that. And then the other thing was you had to um, say what your opinion was and rate it. So if I said, you want to have pizza for dinner tonight? Um, you would say, I could have pizza. I'm like a two on pizza. If you're thinking about Thai food, I'm like a five, like that's where I want to be. So that gave us the ability to kind of gauge each other's, um, the, the strength of each other's uh, um, desires. And that way we could compromise more easily. Like, so if you're, a two, if you're a two on pizza and I'm a five on Thai food and you're like, great, Thai food sounds, if you're so strong on Thai food, Thai food sounds good tonight. You know, next time it might be the other way around where you had a strong opinion. And then I could say, well, this doesn't matter as much to me. So let's go with your, with your preference this time. And that made things easier. And is that a process, uh, you know, that took years to kind of figure out or, or did it happen quickly? Thank God it didn't take years to figure it out because <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if we would have made it. <laughs> no, I think once we figured out the issue, once we figured out the transitioning of the responsibility for all the decisions issue, we came up with a solution for it and then implemented it. That probably maybe took us three or four months to kind of get our hands around why are we you know why are we grading against each other on all of these things we're supposed to be out having fun this is amazing it, we were just getting on the road it was all of our freedom why are we grading over these things and so once we kind of got our got underneath it figured out what the issue was and came up with a solution that really resolved it pretty quickly then it was then things got a lot smoother and things um, kind of moved along a little bit more easily And did you set up a routine? Did, did it kind of force you to come up with a routine or was that difficult with the RV lifestyle? It was difficult. 
it was difficult to set up a routine because the weather, really the weather impacted so much. You know, if we had a day that was uncomfortable to be outside, but we had planned to go for a hike that day, then we needed to shift it, right, to a day when the weather was nicer and we would stay in and work on a day when the weather wasn't great. So we really had to maintain our flexibility every, pretty much every day, and especially in the beginning when we were first traveling in the small RV. I think over time, we um, started staying in places longer, which helped us develop a routine as well, because then it was like, okay, Mondays are, are this, you know, this is what we do on Mondays. We work on Mondays because Mondays we have to catch up from the weekend and Tuesdays are this and Wednesday through Friday, those days are maybe more flexible, but kind of like Mondays and Tuesdays, we have a pretty solid routine. And then Saturdays and Sundays, now that we have miles, especially we pretty much take off on the weekends and because he is so He's so friendly and he loves to be around people. So taking him out on the weekends actually makes him happier than if we went out and did things when there weren't a lot of other people around. And, and so I guess, what did the trip look like now that it's, you know, looking back at it, how many miles did you go? How many places? Uh, it, it must be a large amount. I mean, it just must, the map must be crazy. <laughs> Yeah, I, it would be really interesting to like do a video of where we started and then all the places we went to over 12 years. <laughs> that would be really like follow the RV around the map. That would be crazy. Um, before they passed away, Ty and Buster were in each one of the lower 48 states at least twice. Wow. So that was and they, they were with us for the first 10 years of RVing. So it was, we did see a lot. I think probably all together on the RVs, we've probably put on about 130,000 miles between the two RVs. But in 2013, we started towing our car. So we started out in just the RV without the car. And then, and then we added the car to the equation. And um, that made day trips a lot easier because we didn't have to move our home from its base, we could jump in the car and go do things for a couple of hours and then come back. Um, so I, to like add in the miles that we put on the car between, oh, I don't even know, like a hundred, at least 130,000 miles just in the R, just moving the RV around. So, and then whatever miles went on the car on top of that. And how long in, initially did you stay in each place? And what was the first stop when you, when you took off? Oh my goodness. So I think the first stop, um, we left Pennsylvania. I think we headed down to Savannah, Georgia. Um, I think that was our first kind of our shakedown cruise because the RV was brand new and we needed to kind of take it out and kind of get the feel of it. And then bring, we packed it all up. We took it down to Savannah. We brought it back. We unpacked a whole bunch of stuff that we realized we were never going to need. <laughs> and then we left again. Um, yeah, so I think we went to Savannah. That was the first like trip. And then um, I forgot the second half of your question. And so after the, the, you know, what was the first destination? Um, and I forgot the second half of my question too. <laughs> I was like, yeah, where was the first place? Yeah, we what went. was that first trip like? And how long did you stay? Oh, how place? long did we stay? That was the other question. <laughs> so because we were in a 24-foot motorhome, small motorhome so about the size of a ups truck right 
and we weren't towing a car. Every time we left the campground to do anything, we had to move the, the RV. We had to pack everything up and move the RV. So we moved a lot. We might have only stayed like three days or four days because we were like, well, we got to pack up the RV and move it anyway. We might as well continue on to the next spot after we, after we leave you know, get out and do this, whatever we're going to do. And then we'll just move on to the next spot. So, um, we, I think the first year we were on the road, we put on like 24,000 miles on the RV. It wow. was a lot. It was a lot. <laughs> yeah. Especially considering, you know, total, you may have done 130 or 40,000 miles, something like that. Yeah. yeah. They were heavily weighted in those first years. <laughs> Because every time, even when you went, wanted to go to the grocery store, you had to pack up the RV and move the RV to the grocery store and then bring it back. Like we didn't carry bikes because we wanted to take Ty and Buster with us pretty much all the time. And, you know, biking with them and, and that was all very, seemed very complicated. I'm really not coordinated enough to ride a bike by myself, much less one that involves like having a dog try to run beside it or, or something like that. So, um, yeah, so we didn't have another vehicle to do any of those errands or anything. So it was a constant, um, we were pretty much constantly in motion. I also feel like it was kind of like the when you were a kid and it was the first day of summer vacation. Like that level of excitement to get out and get going. Like we could barely contain our, ourselves. Like we were like, oh my gosh, here's our checklist of all the places that we want to go. And in the beginning, we weren't quite sure how long it was all going to last. You know, we weren't sure we were going to be able to make a living. We weren't sure we were going to get the businesses to transition. So we were also kind of in a hurry to see as much as we could before it all came crashing down, right? So there was that as well. And and so it seems like with an RV, you, you've got to stay outside of the cities mostly, right? Like, you know, you're mostly in either the suburbs or more you know, you know, rural areas, uh, just because of the logistics, uh, did that change where, you know, when, when you had the car or were you not really interested in, you know, going to big cities, you know, was that less of your thing anyway? We actually were pretty successful in finding RV parks that were walking distance to downtowns. So, um, and we, in the beginning, we really loved going to cities. So we spent a couple of winters in Austin, Texas, right in, a, in an RV park that was right downtown, walking distance to everything. Um, St. Louis has an RV park that's right downtown. Um, Milwaukee has an RV park that you can jump on public transportation and be downtown. So um, we were pretty, pretty lucky with that. And, but it did change over time. I think that we started out in center city philadelphia and we were used to a certain level of stimulation like there's an energy about cities um the noise and the people and the constant motion they have a they have a really big energy and as we spent more time away from that we kind of got desensitized from it to the point that now there are like 5,200 people here in this little town that we're in right now. And that feels like it's the right size for me. <laughs> yeah. No, it's interesting because, you know, I, I, again, I compare kind of because we started at the same time and the more time goes on, the less interesting I find cities. I, I just look at them like, 
okay, this is something that people built. And now I'm more interested in things that have been, I guess, nature created, I suppose, um, because I find them much more, I can look at a building and go, okay, I can see how that's built. You know, there are some historical places which, yeah, are special, but in general, um, you know, finding a, a beautiful mountain to hike or something seems, uh, you know, more interesting to me. Um, so it's interesting that we kind of share that, you know, maybe, maybe that's sort of, if you travel for, you know, 12 years, that's a natural progression, <laughs> progression of things. Um, so you, you finally end up deciding to pick a home. How does that look like? It seems like it might be a scary choice considering you've now spent, you know, 12 years on the road. Yeah, it was completely accidental. This was not like, um, like we're going in search of a place to live. This was just another stop for the winter. So um, last year we spent uh, most of the winter on the south side of Tucson. Of course, when you're in an RV, you want to find places where the weather tends to be pretty nice in the wintertime. So, and we don't do a lot of moving around in the wintertime because there just aren't as many warm places to be. So last year we spent, um, I think about nine or 10 weeks, something like that on the south side of Tucson. And one of the day trips that we did was to this little town called Bisbee. And it's an old mining town. It's um, kind of a tourist attraction. And um, we'd been here a few times before, and I, I never really cared for it very much. But this time, we, you know, we're in the same place for 10 weeks. So we were just looking for day trips to get out and do things. So we come down and I had found a map of a race that they run here called the Bisbee 1000. And the city has built a whole bunch of staircases because the city is built onto the surrounding hillsides. So there are staircases that connect the streets and staircases instead of sidewalks in a lot of cases, right? Because the, it's on a, you know, the elevation changes so much. So I found this map and I was like, okay, so we've been to Bisbee a couple of times. This is our third trip. I want to do something a little different. So why don't we take this map? It's like 4.2 miles. We'll go check out all these staircases. So that was our plan. And it was a beautiful March day. And we did that. And along the route, because we got off the main drag, along the route, we met all of these beautiful people. People were out in their gardens. It was a lovely day, early spring. They were cleaning up their, you know, cleaning up their gardens and preparing for the new flowers to start to come up. And we just, people would stop and chat and say, well, where are you from? And we would tell them and our puppy Miles was out there and he's wagging his tail and making friends. And, you know, crazy things like we were going up a staircase and it was a steep one. It was a big hill and then a staircase and it was a steep, long staircase. So we stopped about halfway up and we're sitting on the staircase and we're just admiring this little house that's been like was built along the staircase. There's no road to get to it. You had to walk the staircase to get to it. So the person who owns it came out of the house, overheard us admiring his home. And he said, hey, you guys, do you want to see the inside? And Rod and I looked at each other. We're like, yes, we absolutely do want to see the inside. The houses in Bisbee are just adorable. Little, Everything's a little different. 
wild colors. Um, so he showed us the inside of his house. He stayed in, we, you know, we stayed and chatted for a while. And that was the experience we had last March. So after that day, Rod and I said, well, you know what? There's an RV park that's within walking distance of downtown, which is one of the things that we like. And it's a small town, feels like it's about the right size for us. Let's plan to spend the winter. We got to spend the winter somewhere. Why not? Why not there? So we're like, okay, we're going to spend the winter in Bisbee. So we get here in the middle of November and um, I take off on December 1st to go spend the holidays with my family out in Pennsylvania. And when I got back at the end of December, Rod said to me, by the way, I don't want to leave here. He had been here all month, walked everywhere. I had taken our car. So he had walked everywhere in the city. He had joined the local hiking club. He, he was making friends. He's like, I don't want to leave here. And usually I was the one who felt more attached to places and was kind of like, maybe, maybe we could settle down here. Maybe we could settle down here. And he was always like, man, I'm not ready to get out of the RV. yet. I'm, I'm still happy in the RV. I don't want to really think about settling down yet. So when I got back and he said, I don't want to leave here, I was really kind of shocked. I was like, whoa, like what happened to you while I was gone for a month? <laughs> So um, then I started paying more attention, right? I joined the hiking club and I started meeting more people in town. And then I started watching for real estate and the real estate market right now is nuts everywhere. Um, so we thought, well, why don't we, to start out, just find a place to rent. And that way we're not making a huge commitment as, as huge of a commitment, well, it'll give us a transition period to see if this is really where we're going. Um, so I did that. I found us a place to rent. We'll be moving in in about three weeks. And um, about three weeks after that, I don't know, um, shortly after that, a lot that where a house had burned down came up um, on the uh, for sale. And um, we thought, well, this is our opportunity to build our own house rather than trying to find one that fits our needs. And so we bought the lot. And later today, we're meeting with a contractor to talk, to begin the conversations about building our own house. Wow. Wow. What a <laughs> it, it's serendipitous story. You know, it seems like everything was just right there, you know, almost calling for you. It does feel that way. Right. And it does feel, I do believe in that. I don't really believe in coincidences. So when sometimes you have to knock the, do, the first domino over yourself, but when the dominoes then start to fall in place behind it, then I feel like I'm on the right path. Very much the same thing happened when we started RVing, when we decided to leave our place in Philly and get in the RV and go do this thing. Very much, once we made the decision, all the pieces started to fall into place very without a lot of effort, some effort, but not a lot of effort. It wasn't like we were banging our heads up against the wall trying to get something to work. And I, I sort of feel like when you're on the right path, the universe does line things up. It puts things in line and it makes it so not necessarily that everything falls in your lap, but that with a little bit of effort or a little bit of uh, attention to it, it comes to you, right? And it makes it, it does make it seem like it's faded. Yeah. And is there a, 
I was going to ask you, do you have any fear of making the change? You know, is it scary to make the change at all? It doesn't seem like it, but maybe, you know, there is. I'm not really afraid. You know, I don't like making mistakes. Um, so I don't think any of us likes making mistakes, especially big financial mistakes are always, you know, the scary, really scary ones to make. Um, but I don't, I think, I think kind of when you have that, um, reinforcement that things are falling into place, that, that there's a reason for this, that that helps alleviate the, some of the fear about making a big transition. But also, I feel like I'm ready for a change. My, my own personal self, I feel like I'm ready to be in a place where I have a sense of belonging again. And that's something that I've missed. Like I have an online community where I belong but I'm ready to have a in-person community where I have a sense of belonging again. And that I do feel like I I'm building that here. You know, that's something that um, is falling into place as well. Some friends that we've made and uh, connections that we're making here. So uh, I also, I guess in the past 12 years of RVing have realized that everything is recoverable, right? We can, if we make a mistake, we'll recover from it. If we need to sell this, if we decide this isn't it and we want to sell this lot, we'll sell it and we'll, and we'll figure something else out. Um, so there's that as well. Every, like nothing is undoable, unfixable. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point because I think, you know, I didn't think about it until you just said it, but when you travel for a long time, you kind of have a detachment to things. You start to realize these are just th because they become more of tools when you travel, you know, you got to pick the things you actually need. Um, so it's a constant process of going through your bag and, and like, do I need this? Or, you know, what do I bring? What do I pack? And then you realize they're just tools. They're just getting stuff done, you know? Um, and so I think it makes a lot of things we think about when we are settled easier, because when you're settled, you're really focused on things. At least that's, a lot of people, you know, it's like, I need this, I need this, but it's really, you don't need a lot of stuff. You know, there's needs and wants, right? And then you get to see that line pretty clearly when you travel. Um, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I think that the detachment from things is something that really appealed to me about traveling. I wanted to have that detachment. I also have seen like going back and staying with my sisters, and my family for a month and watching the amount of stuff that they have i i start to feel claustrophobic like i can't like th there's too much i can't breathe here <laughs> like there's too much stuff so i think that that's part of the whole process of leaving kind of that mentality behind and then now coming to a place where we're going to have a house again and how do we keep that how do we maintain that ideology? Because that's, that is how I prefer to live. I don't like to be weighted down by a whole bunch of stuff. Um, but I'm looking at photos of, and house plans, and there's, you know, people are building these houses with these massive bookshelves to house their collections. And I'm like, my whole idea is not to have collections. Like that's like, I don't <laughs> want to have collections to fill up these bookcases. So like, what am I going to put there? Because I don't want a collection. 
Yeah, it's tough. You know, it's tough when you stay in one place. You know, you the things accumulate slowly, but but surely it can. Yeah, it'll have to be a conscious effort. And Rod and I are, you know, we're thinking through too how to carry forward these ideologies that we've developed and and things that have become important to us. Um, how do we carry that forward and make sure that we don't slip back into that comfortable spot of, you know, materialism and consumerism and, you know, building up these, you know, piles of stuff again. So yeah, something that we're, that'll be, that'll be the next challenge. (laughs) So what happens to the RVs uh, now that you're, you're building a house? So the RV is actually up for sale right now. Um, As much as we love her, we do love her. And, um, the thought is that we, you know, she's a motorhome. She's a diesel powered motorhome and these things are built to move, not to sit. So, um, and also storing it in Southern Arizona where we would need to have her out of the sun. And, you know, there's just um, a lot of, I think what it comes down to is I want to see the RV used for what she's meant to be used for. I want to see somebody else out having fun doing what this RV was created to do. And I want the RV to go do that. I want her to go out and, you know, go new places and be used and cared for and loved the way we've taken care for and loved her. And so that's, that's my hope is that we find a buyer who will, you know, enjoy her as much as we have. And that's a nice thought to have, I, I, I think. Um, and again, it goes to the things it is. a Essentially, it is a, it's a home, but it's also a tool, right? And you don't, need the tool anymore. So um, better to have somebody else use it for their their own adventure. So you'll just have the car, right? Are there any other vehicles or anything else in the in the fleet? <laughs> no, not currently. So for right now, we'll have the car and our intention is to continue to travel. Um, not as frequently, but we will continue to travel. And um, we'll do that via hotels and Airbnbs and, you know, vacation properties, those kinds of things. So um, for the time being, and I think possibly down the road, um, we will probably get a small travel trailer that we can tow behind the Jeep so that we can still get off, you know, go off grid. I'm a big fan of our national forests and I really would like to be able to get out and do some camping in our national forests, but I'm not I'm a little bit uh, spoiled by the level of comfort I have had <laughs> in my RV. <laughs> so I don't necessarily want to be tenting it. Um, so I think that probably we'll end up with a little trailer of some kind. And so how does life look like after both for you and for the site? You know, how, how do you imagine it, you know, shaping up at least for the, in the near future? Well, right now we're adding some uh, additional voices to the site since I won't be uh, traveling as much and blogging about the places that we've been. We're going to be bringing on um, some bloggers that will be out doing those things. So that's exciting, actually. I think it gives people, uh, it gives our audience um, another perspective or or more than one perspective. Um, So they can see they can continue to be inspired by the things that people are doing with their pets out traveling with their pets and also have maybe a little bit different take on it than, than I've had over the last 12 years. So I think that brings some value to what we'll be publishing on the site. For me, I'll be coming the 
more of an editor rather than a you know content creator so that'll be a little bit of a shift um and then i'm also i have an idea for a new website so um that's still in the very very early idea stages um but it's evolving you know up here at the moment and so um yeah my my thought is that as um traveling actually takes up a lot of time i did all the driving in the rv rod did all the cooking and so um when you actually start to think about the number of hours that you spent either planning to travel or tra or actually traveling and then setting up and or you know getting ready to go again it, it's a significant amount of time so i'm going to have some additional time on my hands and so this this new idea that's evolving i'm hoping will um will fill in those gaps and i guess out of, out of you know all of this travel what what have you learned is there any secrets about dogs that you've learned or anything any insights about traveling with with dogs that um, maybe you wouldn't have realized after such a you know long journey? I think there are so many lessons that I've learned over the years um, traveling with my dogs. Um, I think probably the thing that resonates with me the most and the thing that will probably stick with me always is that, um, and we all know that our pets aren't ever with us long enough. doesn't matter how long they live. It's never enough time. Um, and when every day looks the same, when you get to the end of their life, if you have their lifetime to look back over and every day looks the same, then they all blend together. So I'm so blessed that we did what we did with Ty and Buster because I have standout days that I can remember with them. The day we, the day we hiked you know, five miles, 10 miles round trip at the Grand Canyon. The day we went canoeing on the Buffalo National River, the first time we ever had them in a canoe. Um, you know, there are those, the day we took them on the scenic train ride in Pennsylvania and in, in Lehigh Valley, up in the Lehigh Valley. Like those days that we did something that was off the charts, they stand out in their lifetimes. And I have so many of them. I'm so lucky to have so had so many of them. And so that's what I try to think about now with Miles, with our new little, with our new little guy, is that um, to, to do things that are outside of our regular routine, um, because those are the days that we'll remember. Wow. Yeah. And, and dogs are just a good window into that, right? They live in the moment. They're not worried about yesterday. They're not really thinking about tomorrow. It's just kind of right there, which is something that as, as humans, we really don't do often enough. We really are not living in the present, you know? That's for certain. And that's, yeah, one of the things that, that's such a, they're such great teachers from that perspective. Um, just watching, experiencing a place with a dog completely changes the way I experience it. So we just uh, got back a couple of weeks ago, we took Miles up to Sedona and we hiked some trails up in Sedona. Watching Miles have fun on the trail, like bouncing around after the lizards that are like running around on the rocks. Like he's so attuned to what's right in front of him. And that helps me remember 
to pay attention to what's right in front of me too, to get out of my head, stop thinking about, even stop thinking about what am I going to, how am I going to format this blog post? How am I, you know, what, how is this blog post going to come together? Stop writing it in my head when I'm still trying to experience it, right? Like having him along changes it completely for me because he's such a great example of how to enjoy every moment. Yeah, that's uh, a, a really nice sort of sentiment to wrap things up on. Um, I, I agree, you know, when you're creating content, sometimes when you're traveling, at least for me, a lot of times I'm just thinking about how is this blog post going to look? How's this video going to come out? All these things. And I'm not really, I'm there, but my brain is thinking about a hundred other things. <laughs> you know, <it's, laughs> And I don't have the same experience as, you know, when I'm just on vacation, where you just go somewhere, you know, it's, it's, it's a very different experience. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. I am excited to see what's up coming up next. You know, it's, uh, it's been really nice to reconnect and just talk to you after such a crazy long time. Um, but it's interesting, you know, I think, you know, when we started, you know, there were a handful of blogs, everybody knew everybody really. And now it's, it's, there's just countless, you know, amount, but not so many people that have, you know, this many years on the road. I think that's a, something that's unique and the insights are, are just really interesting. So I, I appreciate you taking the time and, uh, you know, wish you the best on the next part of the adventure. We'll keep in touch and not every, wow, four, oh, oh, four, 14 years or so. Like, wow. Yeah, yeah. Right. We'll have to do a little better than that. And you'll <laughs> yeah. stay in touch a little bit better than that. Thank you so much for having me. It was really a pleasure. I was so good to catch up with you. Thank you so much. And everyone can find you at gopetfriendly.com anywhere else they should look for uh, what's coming up yeah we're on all the social channels you know at so it's go pet friendly on all the social channels so yeah they can find this all over cool and some people had sent in some questions and i wanted to see if they can find them on the site or i'll just get a couple of quick ones one big one was about separation anxiety so um you know dogs have a lot of dogs you know have separation anxiety but are fine like when they're home but if they're in a new place, you know, it, it can differ. Did you encounter that at all or? We did when we stayed in hotels. So in the RV, because the boys were so used to the RV, all the dogs have been, you know, gotten so used to the RV, they consider it home, which was one of the reasons why we loved traveling by RV, because it allowed the dogs to be in their familiar environment every day. And we could just change the outside, right? But they stayed comfortable in their space. And if we left them for short periods of time, you know, if we had to go get groceries or whatever we need to do, run whatever errands, it was very much the same as leaving them in a house. They knew we'd be back, right? This was home and we'd be back. So um, I think that, that when you're thinking about separation anxiety, that that can really help. Now, for people who are staying in hotels or staying in vacation properties, one of the rules that we had or one of the practices that we did was that when we we never left our dogs alone in a, in an unfamiliar place until we had slept there. So once we had spent the first night in a hotel, then we might go down and get breakfast the next morning and then come back and leave them alone for that amount of time. Um, especially if we knew that 
like our dogs didn't have severe separation anxiety where they would tear up the house, you know, when we left them. So we, we didn't have to worry too much. They were going to tear up a hotel room if we left them, but we still never did that until after we'd spent the night because that seemed to signal to the dogs that, okay, this is where we are now. And so they'll be back because this is where we slept. So interesting. Yeah, it seemed to work for them. So that would be that would be one idea to help help them be more comfortable in the space. And one other question that I got was did their behaviors change or their personalities change due to the change in the lifestyle? Absolutely, in a good way. Um, you know, like I mentioned earlier in, in earlier, we we really they both had um pretty challenging behavioral issues. And um, over time, I think that they both, because we were constantly in different environments and, and that we always looked at being in a new environment as a new training opportunity. Okay, so your dog knows how to behave now in the RV, but does he know how to behave in this park? Does he know how to behave at a restaurant? Does he know how to be, you know, you, it doesn't translate. It's not like once you teach your dog to sit in the house, they're going to do it at the dog park and they're going to do it at, you know, they're, they're not going to do it everywhere. They don't understand that, um, that this is the command that, and it applies to every environment. You, you almost have to teach that to them in every environment. Of course, it's not as difficult once they have the basics, right? But you kind of do have to teach it to them in every new environment. So we were constantly training the dogs. It, we always wore our treat, you know, our little treat pouches on our, on our hips because it was constantly a learning opportunity. And I think that that really developed our bond as well. The dogs were constantly looking to us for, okay, what do we do here? How do we do this? What's appropriate here? Because we were constantly communicating that with them. And so that really also gave them a level of comfort, I think, that they could trust us to let them know what was right and what, what, how we wanted them to behave. And it helped reduce some of the anxiety that was causing Buster's leash reactivity and was causing Ty's fear-based reactions to strangers and other dogs. It helped to decrease that. So, um, yeah, I think that over time, like by the ends of their lives, Ty was in a stroller because he was deaf and blind and, um, people could walk right up to him and pet him and snuggle him. And he was ha his little tail would wag and he was perfectly happy to have that happen. And Buster, um, uh, lost the most of the function in the back end of his, his rear legs. And so he was in a wheelchair for the last year of his life because he still wanted to get out for walks, but he couldn't carry himself as far as, as he, as he wanted to go. And he would literally walk around RV parks looking for people who were outside and he would drag me to them so that he could get loved on and petted. And he could, I think it was almost like he was showing off his wheelchair. Like he, he wanted people <laughs> to know, like, this is, look at this. This is cool. Like, have you seen me? I'm part bionic now. Like, this is really it. So they both really did change over their lifetimes in very positive ways. And the last quick one is um, having a German shepherd or a shepherd dog, um, you know, there I've known there, I didn't know there were breed restrictions against shepherd dogs. I know pe pipples, you know, I think that's pretty well, uh, it's pretty common, but I didn't know about that. Was that both, you know, difficult when you were traveling or were people intimidated um, 
by either of the dogs? I think yes and yes and yes. So um, it did create some challenges. Uh, it was something that Rod and I had to think about in advance when we were traveling with Buster. And mostly it created challenges when we wanted to stay at private RV parks. So, and some hotels, not very many. And then, but we did have to consider breed restrictions in certain cities. So actually, unless you start to do some research on this, most people don't realize there are over a hundred breeds of dogs that are restricted somewhere in the country. Wow. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. So it's a significant thing. We all think about the pit bulls, but Akitas and bulldogs and, you know, the shepherds, obviously, and Dobermans and Rottweilers. And like, there are breed restrictions that apply to many, many breeds of dogs. So it's a good idea to check and see what the breed restrictions are if you're planning to go to a place, to a city, to check to see what the breed restrictions are. If you know that you're traveling with a dog that could be affected by a breed um, restriction. Um, for us, Buster being a shepherd made things e less difficult than it would have been if he was a pit bull. But we also learned that state parks, national parks, national forests, Army Corps of Engineer campgrounds, those places don't apply breed restrictions at all. So it, it, when you start to look into it, there are ways to travel with dogs, even highly, even dogs that experience more discrimination than other dogs. Um, there are ways to do it. You just maybe have to put in a little bit more effort. Now, Ty being a Sharpay, he was unusual looking. Um, with all the wrinkles and the big fat head. And then Buster being an almost all black German shepherd, people did find them intimidating. And we would have people cross the street, you know, to avoid walking by our dogs. I don't take it personally, right? That was just something that um, they didn't know my dogs. They, they were basing their reaction on some history that they had. I'm not gonna say whether they were right or they were wrong. Um, Whatever made them more comfortable was fine with me. So yeah, I mean, I think some people were intimidated by them, but um, it didn't affect the way I, we, the things we did with them and it didn't affect the way I felt about. I didn't feel bad about bringing my dogs out to do things because other people were intimidated by them. Well, they, they both look super happy in every, every photo. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> you know, it, when it comes to breed restrictions, it's like there's the sweetest most dogs are very, very sweet, right? So, you know, pit bull, German shepherd, chihuahuas, I'm 50-50 on chihuahuas because they <laughs> but uh yeah, most of them are are just the sweetest. It really depends on, you know, how they're raised and and, and all. Uh, so I'm I'm glad to hear that it wasn't a hindrance. Um and, and maybe uh they were good ambassadors and Miles will be a good ambassador for um just dogs in general. So I hope so. Miles is such a different experience. He loves everybody. He loves every dog. He's um, having, having Miles, I, I think I've had to relearn how to act because I got so used to, you know, res kind of keeping the bubble very tight around Ty and Buster. And Miles is like, let me out of this bubble. I don't want anything to do with your bubble. I got, I got to go. I got people to meet and friends to make and you, you got to let me out. So I've had to change my own mentality with Miles. He's a completely different dog. It sounds like everybody in Bisbee is going to know Miles, right? Eventually. <laughs> yeah, I think he might have to run for mayor at some point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Well, I'm excited to see what what comes next. You know, I'm, I'm excited to hear about Bisbee. Uh, I didn't know anything about it. I'm not sure a lot of people, you know, who are not in Arizona might. Um, but that seems also very interesting, right? A place where there's not a lot of people, you know, that are, that it's not a very well-known place. So um, seems like a fun and you, you've got a house to be built. So a lot to look forward to. Yeah, we're very excited. Thank you, Anil. Yeah, thank you so much again. I will leave the links in the show notes where everybody can find you and check out what you've done, where you've been, and also what's coming up next. So uh, thank you again for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you, Amy, for being a guest on this episode of the podcast. And thank all of you for listening and all of your support. Thank you for your five-star reviews. Every time I get one, every time I see your comments, just it puts a smile on my face and uh, it's just really nice to see all of your support. So it is much, much appreciated. Make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast if you're not, because we have new episodes coming out and one special one coming out next week. Well, next time. Let me just put it that way. Probably in about two weeks from the time you're listening to this. But until then, I hope you have a great rest of your day.